Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That is what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. Be it joy and laughter, sorrow and tears, awe and insight, or deepest devotion, as we visit and listen, we are all part of a spiritual voyage called Song of the Soul. Kristen Lems is here today with us for Song of the Soul. In 1974, Kristen founded the National Women's Music Festival at the University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana, and some of her songs have been anthems of the women's movement. Among the influential experiences of her life has been time spent living and working in Iran, Algeria, and Mongolia, the last two as a Fulbright Scholar. She's taught teachers of ESL, English as a Second Language, and bilingual education, and currently is a professor at National Lewis University. The point is that Kristen is both experienced, brilliant, and musically gifted, all of which comes through beautifully in her music. Kristen changes the world with her music, and she's joining us today from Evanston, Illinois, to inspire your heart and mind. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me today for Song of the Soul. Thank you, Mark. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks. You've been doing music for a long time, and I've known your name for a couple decades. It's about time I got around to interviewing you. I read online that you come from an acclaimed concert pianist mother and a musical Dutch immigrant father. What does a musical Dutch immigrant father mean? (laughs) Well, it's so interesting because my two parents came from just about as different trunk lines for music as you could ever imagine. My mother was trained with the note method where she learned to be a very, very good reader of notes and technique was really stressed, whereas my father learned totally by ear. He was in Holland at the liberation of Holland And American service people came in and played in taverns that were in his little town. And he and his two brothers would just go in and listen to the the honky-tonk piano and that kind of thing. And they adored it. And they just had that odd gene to be able to do that with absolutely no training of any kind. You mean like on piano and everything? I mean, it's not just singing. Yes, on piano. They didn't even own a piano. They just would sit down in the bar and then just pick their way through. And Maybe one of the servicemen would give a little pointer here or there, but that was it. So my mom by the eye method, my dad by the ear method. And so what time did they start you off? (laughs) Well, I guess I was introduced to piano from the very beginning because my mother had been a concertizing musician. So We've always had a grand piano in the house, and she still does. She's 94 now, and she still has her Steinway. My mother decided that I shouldn't study with her. She became a piano teacher, and she outsourced me to a friend of hers who taught piano, and that teacher's daughter was sent to my mom. So I think I was about seven or so. I read also online that you picked up the guitar in your teens sometimes. That's right. Uh huh. What was the setting? Well, that's a very interesting question because that guitar that I picked up is actually in my home right now. It was given to me by my friend who lent it to me on this weekend when I was not allowed to go to a conference of the Unitarian young people. 
I wanted to go very much, but I got sick. And so my friend said, well, maybe you can console yourself by messing around with my guitar for the weekend. And I just sat down and basically kind of taught myself basic guitar in that weekend. <laughs> and then I was kind of launched. I started playing for children's birthday parties and different worship services and so on in my teens. Well, let's hear some of what your songs of the soul are like. How do you want to start out your song of the soul? Well, when you suggested that I choose some songs to feature, I wanted to do it in chronological order to kind of let listeners get the trajectory, some of the points along the trajectory of my music. And so I thought I would start with one of the early songs that was very important to me when I wrote it. It was very much of a turning point kind of song for me. And that is the song Women Walk More Determined. I had been living for a year in Iran, teaching English as a second language. I was 21 years old. I had been out of the United States for a year. And when I came back to the United States, I was literally in the airport and said to my mother, women walk more determined <laughs> than I remembered or than they seemed to be walking in Iran. It was just this difference in the gait of women that was very dramatic to me. And so I just kind of teased that phrase into a song. And what I really realized was that I saw the winds of change. And I saw that the women's movement was starting to bubble up. And I could see it in women's walk. When I wrote this song in the fall of 1973, I was so excited about the song. I'd sing it for anybody that would listen. I also organized with my sister a little uh, festival. We called it the Women Folks Festival at the University of Illinois to benefit the brand new Rape Crisis Center. And all of the women who were in that show, and it was a no-cuts show, anyone who showed up to audition was in the show, we all sang Women Walk More Determined as the final song. Such a thrill for me to have all these voices singing this song that I had just written and that I believed it so much. It kind of led to what I did the next uh, year, which was found the National Women's Music Festival. This was in Champaign-Urbana okay. on the University of Illinois campus. We had it take place during the week between the spring and the summer terms so that we had use of all those facilities and we could rent a dorm space and so on. The festival still exists. It's in its 44th year of existence. Wow, that's incredible. Well, I think people are eager to hear this music by Kristen Lems. Women Walk More Determined. It's from 1973. It broke on the American scene and the U.S. has not recovered yet. Women Walk More Determined. You know, women walk more determined than they ever have. Women walk with a stronger stride than they ever did before. Take a look, sisters and brothers, because you're going to find you got
We've got Kristen Lems here today with us for Song of the Soul. Kristen is a K-R-I-S-T-I-N, and Lems is L-E-M-S, kristenlems.com, the links on nordenspiritradio.org. Women walk more determined. I can only imagine how graphic the difference would be coming back from Iran. And I know that at that time, Iran is really one of the more liberated, more progressive Muslim countries. It was actually more largely secular than a lot of countries that are Muslim are now. But, of course, you were living there, and I don't know if that's different in the capital and out in the smaller cities or villages. Yeah, I was in a small town in the southwest, so it was not the capital, and it was really a a regional university that was brand new. And I mean, the way I would characterize women's roles there, at least in terms of my 21-year-old eyes looking at it, was just cautious. It was cautious. And, you know, even though some women were entering professions and entering the university, there was an anxiety or nervousness about it, which obviously was warranted because in 79, when the whole Islamic revolution took place and the overthrow of the Shah, women were basically put under the headscarf and the veil for the next 30 years. So, yeah, I would say that their stance was kind of caution. What I was seeing when I came back to the States after a year away was sort of the throwing caution to the winds. (laughs) And then I also, just as an interesting sidelight, I've never mentioned this to anybody, this was also the first time in my life I'd seen a jogger. When I left in 72, people were not jogging on the streets. And when I came back in 73, they were jogging. So there was a big change in the way Americans walked around. Yeah. They were running, they were, the women were taking larger strides, and it was a great time. I mean, it was just the self-confidence of women was just bubbling up all over the place. And then we launched right into the second stage women's movement that went through the 70s and into the 80s very, very forcefully. And I was part of it every step of the way, every determined step of the way. <laughs> so, What a difference, yeah. So you shared this stage with Gloria Steinem and another activist, Holly Neary. I assume. Yes, I have several times. I think that Gloria Steinem said that my songs were proof that the women's movement had a sense of humor. And I was happy about that because my song Mammary Glands, which actually we're not featuring today, but it's still my best known song and gets the most hits by far, was a spoof of America's breast fetish. And as soon as I recorded it with the Dixieland band, it got lots and lots of attention and was played on Dr. Demento quite a bit and a lot of other places. And you know, it was the idea that we can point things out without being super, you know, politically correct and frightening and ideological. We can just spoof things with humor. So are you also a friend of Peter Alsop's? Yes, I am. <laughs> he's got that gift, of course, too. He sure does. Yes. And he's one of my favorite. And I think I've had him on Song of the Soul and even on Spirit in Action more than any other person. So oh, really? He's, oh, he's my number one. So I'll have to have you back another 10 times to pass thank him you, up. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Yep, Peter and I also performed together several times at several major conferences. And we're good buddies. Hi, Peter. And by the way, there's a joke that you should have in your repertoire, especially considering the teaching you do. There's a case where there's a teacher lecturing about double negatives, how a double negative is a positive, and that's how it's always the case. Every time a double negative is a positive, and a student in the front says, well, is the double positive ever a negative? And the teacher says, no, that's not true. And from the back of the room, we heard, yeah, right. (laughs) 
Great. That's kind of like, what's the difference between ignorance and apathy? I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> well, let's go on to a, a second song, because that's why people have tuned in. But I, I think it's really important that people have the context of where your music comes from and who you are. So what's next, and why is it next? So Women Walk More Determined was on my first album, which was called Oh Mama, and it was released in 79 after having had several 45s. Anyway, the next album I released had a lot of very strong topical material on it, and I think one of the strongest was my song, How Nice, and I would love to share it with your listeners. One of my fellow activists in Champaign-Urbana said to me in the late 70s, how about writing a song about heterosexual privilege? I said, gosh, you're right. It's not just about gay rights, but about the things that heterosexual people can take for granted. So I thought about it, and I was also singing at a brunch at a gay bar in Champaign-Urbana at that time, and I could see the difference between how gay and straight people were able to express their relationships and their rights and so on. And so I wrote the song, which was comparing a gay couple and a straight couple. And this song is probably one of my most recorded songs, one of my most covered songs. It was used in the March on Washington that the NGLF, National Lesbian and Gay Task Force, I think, organized where they had a sort of mock gay wedding. I think this was in 1990, long before marriage equality had come into law. And my song was played in the background on their documentary about it. So I'm pretty proud of this song. It's also been used in some kind of cabaret-style performances. It's comparing a gay couple and a straight couple. And the last verse talked about this, at the time, unimaginable breakthrough of what if they could get married. And who would have thought it happens in our lifetime? It does. Across the states. And it's so funny because millennials now, and I have two children who are millennials, they just say, oh, gay marriage, that's just so... It's passe, so five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't even need to talk about that. We just take that for granted. So progress does march on, but we have to remember how important and brave and painful it was to talk about all of these issues at the time. And when I used to sing this song in concert in the late 70s, many people would come up to me after the show and say, this song made me so uncomfortable and it broke something apart in me that needed to be broken apart. Thank you. So folks, you better get ready to get broken apart by How Nice by Kristen Lems. How nice A tender, untried feeling Is growing in his heart When he sees his lover's glances How nice She finds him quite appealing But holds herself apart Still prefers not to take chances He finds her name in poetry She finds him on TV They cast themselves as famous lovers Back through history But if both of them were women Or if both of them were men Who would be their famous lovers It was 
what happened anyway You can't hold them back forever He's proud of her intelligence She's proud of his physique They're proud to be in public At the prom they're cheek to cheek But if both of them were women Or if both of them were men Where could they dance together then? How nice They're feeling so romantic They're kissing on the street They see no one but each other Kristen Lems is many things when she sings. She can be deep and insightful and humorous and jolly, and occasionally she can be a bit biting with her sarcasm or irony. How nice, I think, is an example of that. I really don't think that you're very much of a sarcastic, ironic person. How hard was it to you to walk a little bit on the other side of that line? That's such a great question. Thank you so much for noticing that. I will tell you honestly that when I became a mom, I decided to dispense with sarcasm. I don't even think I made a conscious decision, but I had to sort of retool and rethink my stances and something about being a parent and raising children required me to sort of look at the sunny side (laughs) and criticize through hopes and dreams, not fears and snark. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it is something. Kids do force us to look at how we speak and how we project ourselves very differently. The first time when my son, when I don't know what he was, maybe four years old or maybe even three, he was speaking to me and several times he said, well, actually, and I realized that was a part of my vocabulary that I overused. (laughs) Yeah, that's cute. 
I've made a major directional shift when I became a parent. I'm still perfectly capable of writing uh, searingly ironic songs, but I usually pass on the opportunity to do that and instead try to sort of rally people for our better angels. Well, folks, we're going to rush right into some more music. Kristen Lems has a lot of it. And as you just heard, How Nice was on her In the Outdoor, which was released in 1980. You can't get In the Outdoor, as far as I can tell, anymore. Out on CD Baby, there's seven of her recordings. I think a number of the songs from those maybe might be on Equality Road. Is that true? Exactly right. My second and third LPs, which are In the Outdoor and We Will Never Give Up, I combined into one double CD called Equality Road. And that also has a booklet and it has some bonus tracks and it's kind of focused around the Equal Rights Amendment and all of the issues of the time between the second album and then the third one, which was a live album. So the third cut that I would like to share with you is from the live album, We Will Never Give Up which is now able to be found on the Equality Road album. The song that I've chosen is The First Five Minutes of Life. Because it's got its own intro, we're going to go straight into it. Again, Kristen Lems, The First Five Minutes of Life. Here's the live recording. I'd like to sing a song now that I wrote rather recently for two friends of mine that had a, a baby. They decided to have the child at home and did so. And they instructed the midwives that when the child was born... For the first five minutes, they didn't want to know its gender. They said they just wanted to appreciate its babiness with no strings attached, except the birth strings. <laughs> Terrible pun, I'm sorry. And so it was, so it was. They had the, the child, and for five minutes, they had it in a little blanket, and they just loved it and appreciated it. And then finally, almost anticlimactically, they just unwrapped the blanket. I thought that was an awfully beautiful idea, and I wanted to write a song about it, and I did. And this is that song. The name of the song is The First Five Minutes of Life. No need 
dreams Anything is possible Or so it seems In the first five minutes of life Welcome the baby to the world The first five minutes of life Welcome to the boy Welcome to the Wonderful glimpse of possibilities, the first five minutes of life by Kristen Lems. Her website, kristenlems.com. Kristen starts with K R I S T I N. Lems is L E M S. It's on nordenspiritradio.org, which is where you should look for all kinds of things because Song of the Soul is a Norden Spirit Radio production. All 13 and a half years of our programs are available for listening and download out on our website. And we've had just so many hundreds and hundreds of wonderful guests, artists like Kristen Lems, who have been doing transformational work through music and through other forms of activism. Also listening to our Spirit in Action program. There's a place to post comments, two-way communications the best. Post a comment when you visit. There's a donate button. This is full-time work, but it is supported only by listener contributions. So please donate when you come. Even more important, and I would love your comments on this, Kristen, it's really, really, really important to support our local community radio station and other forms of media. Community radio stations bring you news and music that the major stations just want to ignore to oblivion. And so I really think it's absolutely crucial that you start by supporting those forms of media, in particular your local community radio stations like those that carry Song of the Soul and Spirit in Action. What's been your experience with radio and getting play, getting exposure? I don't think that anyone would ever have heard my music were it not for the community radio stations. And in particular, when I lived in Champaign-Urbana, WEFT, WEFT, was very, very important. I did many benefits for them, <laughs> and I admire them so much, as well as the, other, the others in the National Association of Community Broadcasters. The really important and interesting thing, Mark, is that they're now on an equal footing because we can hear them on the Internet. So it really doesn't matter how many watts your station has. If you're doing good stuff, people will find it, and you can stream it just as loud and clear through your laptop or your phone as you can any of the monster stations. You know, I've, I've subscribed to many community radio stations. I've bookmarked them and listened to them a lot, and it's such a delight that it doesn't matter where I am. And I could kind of hop between time zones, and if I wanted to listen to community radio out west, I can do that at my leisure. Or This is fantastic. Long live community radio and college radio, too. Of course, yes. And WEFT has at times carried some of our programming from Northern Spirit Radio. But right now, out of Urbana, via the internet, there's what's called Rawa Radio. It's R-A-W-A radio.com.org. I forget which. Rawa Radio carries Song of the Soul. So you'll be broadcasting right from Urbana. Oh, hello, my friends in Shambana. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the first five minutes of life was the song we just heard. A beautiful, beautiful song. Actually, it really touches my heart in part because it touches on that incredible moment where I went from being a young adult to being a father. The amazing thing that happened when my child emerged my wife and I had agreed that we would give our child, we didn't know the gender of, a name that would work for either. So my child is named Chris Leslie. And we sent out announcements, and I hadn't heard of your song at that time. But what we did was, Chris Leslie Friend is this many pounds and this tall. And then we didn't say a baby boy or girl. We didn't say that. We said, anyone who wants to know Chris's gender is welcome to come and change a diaper. <laughs> and some people were very offended. What kind of reactions did you get to this song? A lot of positive reactions. A lot of people planning to become parents, deciding to do that. And some others saying to me, why five minutes? Why not let the mystery go longer? Or why ever? You know? <laughs> and yeah, it's also been recorded and practiced by a number of people. And it, actually, that story is a true story. I mean, my dear friends, Chris and Shapur did do that, that exact thing. And their child comes to my performances when I'm in that child's town and <laughs> says, I'm the one, I'm the first five minutes. So, um, <laughs> it's, it's lovely. And you know, there's an exact opposite trend these days. Have you seen these uh, gender reveal parties people are having when they do their first ultrasound and then they discern oh. uh, in utero and, you know, then they, they have a, cake popping open and then pink or blue coming out. And I just think that's exactly the opposite way that we should go. We should wait longer and be more agnostic about it rather than condemning this child to what, what goes with the sex to which you've been assigned. So I would love to see a gender non-reveal party. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, obviously, ultimately, babies are going to be chosen. But it just doesn't have to be so absolute and so doctrinaire. And there's there's a lot more. We know that there's so much more variety on the continuum of human life than we accounted for. Well, there's this tendency, and it was true for right and left-handers. At a certain point, it was easier to make all of the desks work for right-handers. And so there 10% of the population that's left-handed always had to cobble something together to work. Yes, which I, as a left-handed person had to hold my left elbow up with my right hand so I could write on a desk that didn't support my hand. Right. And of course, it's efficient if you only have to make one version. And if you have to make not just two, but, you know, there's 60 different gender types these days, right? Then accommodating that becomes a little bit more complex. But our society has so much extra energy that we're putting into really useless things. Why not put it into something useful like learning who people really are? Yeah, and, and the gender non-conforming people kind of lead the way. They let you know what they need, and you can listen. Well, I'd like to listen to some more music by Kristen Lems. What do you want to share next, Kristen? The next song is from my first children's album, which I did record when I became a parent. This song is called Don't Forget to Breathe, 
this was the advice given to me by the Lamaze coach. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea was, you know, you're studying for a final exam. You don't know what the final exam consists of because you never know what your childbearing is going to consist of. But whatever it is, don't forget to breathe. So this is kind of a humorous song about a reminder, not just for people about to go through childbirth, but also anybody about to go through stress. Don't forget to breathe. Don't forget to breathe, don't forget to breathe, don't forget to breathe. You'll be amazed at the things a good breath can achieve. Don't forget to sigh, don't forget to sigh, don't forget to Kristen Lems, our guest for Song of the Soul, released her first children's album in 1989. It was called Sharing, and that song is called Don't Forget to Breathe. Bit whimsical. I was also wondering if you had some yoga teacher in your, is it all Lamaze? <laughs> I haven't taken specific yoga lessons, but I certainly do the deep breathing and meditation and so on. And the funny thing is that once I did go into labor, I forgot to breathe. <laughs> It was wasted on me. My own song was wasted on me. <laughs> but I should mention to you, I've got a very dear friend, Peggy Lipjutz, who did the illustrations for the book that went with that CD. So you can get sharing as a CD and book. She is about to turn 100. And when she was 90, she had pneumonia. And the lesson that we were all supposed to give her was don't forget to drink. So I actually did do a rewrite of Don't Forget to Breathe, which I haven't recorded, called Don't Forget to Drink, about hydrating ourselves. <laughs> I did want to ask something about your religious and spiritual background. As a teen, at least, or practicing as a UU, 
I was looking at the various venues where you have done performances just over the last year or two. It included the Ethical Humanist Society and All People's Church there in Chicago is where that one is. Where have you gone in terms of which community of spirituality you have been interested in and explored? I'm very open-minded about different spiritual practices. For a long time, I did not have a spiritual community, and I kind of was just eclectic visiting a lot of them. Then I, I actually was kind of a musician, the performing musician, or one of them, at the People's Church in Uptown in Chicago. I did that for four years and that was a combined UCC-UU church, United Church of Christ Unitarian Universalist. So they both provide that kind of urban mission. And that was a church that prayed and mentioned God and did Bible readings more than the church that I had been brought up in, which was a very secular kind of upbringing. I mean, in the Unitarian Church religious education curriculum, we basically studied all the world religions and science, and poetry. <laughs> but I also have discovered, now that my mom is aging and I seek support from a community, recently I've started visiting the Unitarian Church of Evanston after many years away, partly because many of those families have known my mom, and my mom is 94 now, and I'd like to be able to touch base with them about her and give messages to her, and then also for my own spiritual support and sense of community. They do wonderful things. They have a green community, and they do a lot of social activism. So it feels very good. Well, and Evanston's got a lot of good things going on around there, too. I think there's a Quaker community there that I've visited at one point or another, too. Yes, I have visited it, and I considered joining the Society of Friends, but I'm just too talkative. <laughs> you and I might have a competition on that, and somehow... I find the way to sit down there, I, I don't know. It's it's really good for me to have one hour a week where I don't talk so much. <laughs> Great. If I could train myself to do that, I would I would give it a try. But even when I was visiting the Friends Meeting House, it was I that blurted out, you know, out of the silence. And I thought, oh, this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go on. We want to get in a couple more songs if it's at all possible. Where do we go next for your Song of the Soul journey? The next song in my chronological trajectory is when I was well into parenthood and in the last 20 years doing a lot of performing for school assemblies, field trips, and singing for children. And I wrote this song that I consider kind of a credo in a way, which is called All Kids Can Learn, about the many ways that children can enter into knowledge and construct knowledge. I also, of course, teach teachers, so sometimes I share this song with them, and they appreciate it very much. But it's a sing-along song, All Kids Can Learn, and it's on my album, Imagine That, Songs for Creative Teachers. Which you're one of them. Kristen Lem's All Kids Can Learn. Technology can help. 
help so much if you don't forget that human touch. Blend it together at lights and sound. You'll have the brightest class around. All kids can learn. All kids can learn. I'll tell you now and you'd best believe all kids can learn. School can be such a happy place. Got to put on a happy face. Now's the moment, so do not wait. Tell those kids I think you're great. All kids can learn. All kids can learn. I'll tell you now and you'd best believe all kids can learn. Day. Who learns the most? It's hard to say. Kids learn from peers and books and you. When you work together, you learn lots too. All kids can learn. All kids can learn. I'll tell you now and you'd best believe. All kids can learn. All kids can learn. Everybody, all kids can learn. I'll tell you now and you'd best believe. All kids can learn. Chris and Lems surely knows that all kids can learn. That's why she wrote the song about it. It's on the recording. Imagine that, Songs for Creative Teachers. Kristen teaches, how's the name of the university pronounced? National Lewis University, not the French pronunciation. <laughs> it's not the Louis, okay. <laughs> and she teaches ESL and bilingual education. And she's had two Fulbrights. I mean, she spent time living around the world, which I credit for making such a difference in my world that I've lived abroad, that I see how other people do it. And I see things that are cultural choices. Very uh, much so. Because you wrote that song back around 2005, I think, I think you believe that some people think kids can't learn. Do you run into that? Oh, very much so. Yeah. It's called the deficit outlook. You encounter it so often, both in the educational system and beyond. The idea is that that kid just can't keep up or can't do it. This deficit thinking. We especially have that with bilingual education. Rather than saying, hey, this kid is becoming bilingual. Isn't that wonderful? It's like this kid doesn't know English. <laughs> As if they had come with a tabla rasa and no language. So the idea that all kids can learn is that not only you can have additive bilingualism, you can learn English as a new language. It doesn't mean you throw away your native language, and it doesn't mean you feel ashamed about using it, and it doesn't mean that you don't try to become literate in your first language. That's a wonderful thing to be able to read and write in your home language because it opens up the cultural resources of your home culture. So it's very important to give the idea that kids can be brilliant in so many ways. Bilingualism is a gift. It's an asset. And you should never look on it as not speaking English proper or not knowing enough English or having an accent. It's a joy to be able to add on new skills. And same with technology. There are kids that are brilliant with technology that may not be brilliant in the standard linguistic IQ tests. And so we're opening up to the ideas that kids can be brilliant in ways that those of us who weren't exposed to technology in the same way don't know how to do. There's so many forms of intelligence. I'm moderately competent mechanically, but there's people who don't have my college degree or my top 10 ranking in my school, all that, 
who can just put me to shame by touching anything, just looking at it, understanding the mechanics of it. It just so is clear to me that musically or in terms of physically moving our body, dance and other things, some people have this innate, fertile intelligence. And it needs to be named. It's not just a learning disability. It's otherness, other ways of learning. I've got a neighbor who tells me that he's never read a book in his life. I don't challenge that. <laughs> he's brilliant about botany. He knows everything about every plant growing around us. And he can talk about its conditions for growing and what it cohabits with. And I just respect him so much. And it's a nature smarts that, you know, it's just as smart in its own way as a book reading smarts. Oh, even more so. I mean, if everything else fell apart, knowing which plants you can eat makes all the difference. Yeah, you can't <laughs> eat a book. <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh, I mean, Soy-based stink, remember? Oh, yeah, that's right. We're halfway there. <laughs> So all kids can learn. And we've got Kristen Lems here. Again, I want to point out the way that I connected with Kristen, you got to me via New York. I had put out some information about plans for Northern Spirit Radio. And Sally Campbell wrote to me saying, you have to interview Kristen Lems and that you're going to be in New York City at the People's Voice Cafe on December 1st. That's right. Yes. Yes, you're going that way. And Sally Campbell's going to be there with you. Now, she said to me that her favorite is Come By Here, Mountain Earth of King, which you combine with his best quotations to the tune of Kumbaya. That's just one of the items I think we should be looking forward to on December 1st at the People's Voice Cafe in New York City. Yes, I thought it was just a natural match between King's words and literally the tune for Kumbaya. And when I sing this, I, uh, somebody at a coffee house in Rockford recently said, finally, we're having the Kumbaya moment. We've always talked about it. <laughs> because I do well, invite people to sing. It's, it's a, you know, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hatred mm-hmm. cannot drive out hatred. Only love can do that. And it fits perfectly with the Kumbaya melody. So I just put them together and add an extra verse. (laughs) But right now, I think we should go on to a final song for your Song of the Soul. What will you use to conclude your Song of the Soul, Kristen? Thank you, Mark. In 2015, I released my latest CD, which is called You, Me, and All of the Above. And the song that I've chosen from it is called No Turning Back. My song, No Turning Back, is a sing-along, kind of a toe-tapper, which is meant to remind us of some of the big issues that we face as a planet, as a species. For example, the first verse is, bread, not bombs. Yes. <laughs> that pretty much <laughs> says a lot. So I hope as you listen to it that you sing along out in Radioland. If I can be helpful in a project you're doing, feel free to use the song. And the place you want to go to for that is kristenlems.com. The link's on nortonspiritradio.org. The thing that surprises me about this song, Kristen, is that it only was written by you just relatively recently, and you've already had 30, 40 years of songwriting before this. And this one comes out, and this one I would have thought would have been perfect in the 1970s and 80s too. But you were holding back the best to last? Is that what you're doing? (laughs) Well, sometimes simpler is better. 
And I think you can kind of sum up some of the big things in just a few words. And hopefully, yeah, it certainly came from the 70s, 80s, 90s, double knots. And here we are. And here we are. So we're going to conclude today's Song of the Soul with Kristen Lems with her song, No Turning Back. On her website, kristenlems.com, you'll find a link to this album. So No Turning Back, you can get it via CD Baby, of course, but on her website's even better, kristenlems.com. Just look on her shop tab and you will find all of her seven albums that are for sale. And also, I think you've got a very active Facebook page. That's right. It's Kristen Lem's Musician. I'm getting close to a 1,000 likes. Please join in. <laughs> that would be lovely. And I put up uh, different new music videos I've made and stuff that hasn't been recorded in a studio. I've got one up there now that I just put up called Like a Duck. If it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, swims like a duck, must be a duck. And it's a verse is about fascism. Yes, and we know where that one's going, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but right now, we're going out for Song of the Soul. Kristen, it's been delightful to get to know you. I'm really glad, after all of these years, when I was living in Milwaukee, your name came to my attention more often. It's about time I got a hold of you, and I'm thankful to Sally Campbell for connecting us up. Thanks so much for joining me for Song of the Soul. I'm delighted to know you and work with you, too. Thank you so much, Mark. Find her at kristenlems.com or follow the link from northernspiritradio.org. Thanks to Andrew Jansen for production assistance on today's program. We'll go out listening to No Turning Back. And we'll see you all next week for Song of the Soul. There's no turning back.
The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it is called Song of the Soul. Check out all things Song of the Soul on northernspiritradio.org, guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Send your Songs of the Soul to me, Mark Helpsmeet, via the info on our website, and join us weekly for Song of the Soul.